Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 407. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprincing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 407. For our first sponsor spotlight, I want to share a quick conversation I recorded recently to share all about Arctic Alaska peonies. We're so pleased that Arctic Alaska peonies has returned for 2019 as a Slow Flowers podcast sponsor. And this is the week that the co-op member farms are harvesting their peonies and beginning to fulfill orders, sending their bigger, better, beautiful peonies from Alaska to you. Chris Becks jumped on the line with me to share a preview of the start of Alaska peony season. Have a listen. Hey, I'm so excited to have on the line my friend Chris Becks, all the way from Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, via Skype. (laughs) Hi, Chris. Hey, Deborah. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, we're not looking at each other, but we can hear each other at least. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's nice to talk to you, Deborah. Uh, it's great to have you back on the podcast, Chris. And um, first of all, thank you to you and all the farmers of Arctic Alaska peonies. I know you're a cooperative, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of acres and a lot of peonies behind that name. And I'm I'm really happy you're back supporting the podcast this year. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, we we love your show. We have a lot of um, so a lot of our growers are are big fans and, and listen to you every every week. And uh, that includes me, of course, too. And uh, we think you're you're doing fantastic work. And uh, it's really for a lot of us, it's very inspiring. So, um, for, for, so, so, so thanks for doing what you do. Mm, thank you. And I know a lot of our listeners and members of Slow Flowers are customers of Arctic Alaska Peonies. And this is the week. This is what we've been all waiting for. Living in, <laughs> and you and I have discussed this. Living in Seattle, there's this crazy tradition of people going gaga when this special type of salmon gets like harvested and shipped down to restaurants in Seattle. Is it, I can't remember which one it is, but people go nuts. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. The Copper River oh. salmon. Yeah. Oh, Copper River. I'm so glad I didn't <laughs> say the wrong one. So it's like this an- anticipation builds for this particular amazing Alaska salmon. And you and I want this same anticipation to build and the demand to build for the peonies that you, your member farmers are just ready to harvest. So give us sort of a snapshot of what the season looks like and what people can expect. Yeah, and harvest actually is going to start this week, um, or um, uh, it, it's kind of starting now. And so, um, which is kind of exciting because this is indeed what we look forward to the whole year. 
uh, everything we do um this is uh this is our crop and this is our season and um it's really we do everything that we do we, we uh um we work very hard um, all year to get to that, to mm. get to this point mm. right here, you know, mm. and, uh, and boy, do we get rewarded with some beautiful flowers. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's oh, really nice. I'm getting the shivers, <laughs> beautiful flowers. <laughs> and I, I know your slogan is, is bigger, better. And I add beautiful. Um, there's something about every, all the conditions in, uh, interior Alaska, which you're, you're, you and your member farms are in, Fairbanks, which is pretty far north, like what's going on that is uh, making this magical sweet sweet spot for growing peonies? Um, well, actually, we we uh, yesterday or earlier this 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 week we had um, summer solstice, and so we have twenty four hour daylight. Wow, it's um, it's wonderful. We love it, and we've actually had um, pretty warm weather um, over the past week, at least in the Fairbanks area. Um, and uh, very warm, um, you know, mid to upper 70s, sometimes even 80s, um, which is um, which is warm for us. Uh, and, it's crazy. Uh, and then we got an, an, a, usually a thunderstorm or two coming uh, coming through in the afternoon or early evening, and and dumping a lot of you know nice rain showers. So it's like perfect growing conditions for our peonies, and and it's really really nice and and wonderful because you're getting such really good. I mean, our our peonies are just loving it and the, the stems seem longer <coughs> excuse me and the colors seem more intense unless it's white and <laughs> i mean i can't even fathom i i was in fairbanks uh in 2012 when it was i think maybe there were 21 hours of sunlight so it was later in the summer but with solstice it's truly 24 hours of sunlight i can't even fathom yeah. that yeah, it's uh, it's really like it doesn't not it does not get dark, wow. and um, you kind of notice that it you know the sun disappears, but the light's still there, and so you you kind of know that it's evening, mm. but you can <laughs> as far as the light, like if you looked out the window, you can't really tell. <laughs> it never gets dark. It does. <laughs> you mentioned like seventies to low eighties temperature. That's unse- a little bit unseasonably warmer than typical, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is, and and uh, we're starting about. Oh, I'd say about seven days earlier. So for um, for our harvest, it's um, um, and so some of our farms that are located at uh, some higher elevations um, are definitely um, seeing that it's you know it's it's time and and that's it, the earlier days is really because of the the current the current weather conditions, yeah. which we certainly aren't complaining about. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <clears throat> I mean, there is this sort of. <clears throat> almost, uh, there's not truly an overlap in most cases between peonies in the lower 48, which are done blooming, and peonies from Alaska, which are just starting. And so I'm sure there's some pent-up demand, uh, especially for wedding and event designers who are waiting anxiously for uh, you to ship their, their, you know, stems that they've pre-ordered. Yeah, and we've got definitely, we've got um, a number of uh, pre-orders already. And um, and we're looking forward to, to shipping those. Um, but we also uh, we plan on starting to ship um, later this week, and uh, and for sure next week we'll be in full swing to wow. uh, to start shipping peonies. And then because we have we have 20 farms in our co-op that are spread out over almost 500 miles, and so uh, we have different like I, there's farms that are weeks away from harvest. Right. Um, they won't be harvesting until the end of July for sure, or maybe even into August, and so. Um, it's re- there's really a, a large difference, which which is which is kind of nice for for us because we um, we can spread our season for for some time. And um, July and August really is Alaska peony season. Right, right. And having that longer harvest time 
gives you more continuity with um, having at least somebody is harvesting from your co-op and the consistency, it comes from the co-op setting like grading standards and harvest direction, like when it's harvested and then how it's packed and shipped. So there's a lot of quality control that you are providing on behalf of all these farms, right? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We've got the uh, five different warehouses uh, kind of located in the in the in the clumps of farms around those 500 miles, mm. and it's uh, it, it it they act as quality control centers. And so, yeah, the co-ops it's a set of standards, and that's that's one of the two main reasons we created a co-op was uh, one we wanted to be consistent um, along with farms, and then two is just the the ease of distribution and and um, and working with working with customers, so they don't have to call individual farms; they can just call you know, the co-op itself and, and, uh, and get their order. And, and we, you know, we carry 60 different varieties. I mean, it's, it's really, there's a lot of benefits to, right. to working together. I love it. And I actually, uh, we'll have the phone number and the website in our show notes, um, at deborahprinzing.com in case people, uh, haven't checked you out yet, but the, um, website is arcticalaskapeonies.com, right? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Great. And that's um, that's our name for for the website as well as our social uh, social media accounts will be on Facebook and Instagram as well. So, 500 acre, I mean 500 mile distribution of farms, 40 farms, or did you say 40 or 20? No, 20 farms. Oh, 20, yeah, 20, farms. 20 farms. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I got my math wrong. Mm-hmm. Roughly how and then 60 varieties, that's what you said. And then roughly how many stems are I mean, do you even have a sense of because it gets it seems like it's cr- increasing every year as peony plants become more mature and these farms are able to harvest more uh, from like last year's plant. Yeah, we're we're almost I think tripling production this year. Um, I mean, it's projected for about 180,000 stems to 200,000 stems uh, for our our business itself, so our our cooperative. Wow. Um, and the farms in our those 20 farms are going to produce about 200,000 stems this year. Wow. So that's and that's exciting. just uh, yeah, it's that's really exciting because there's. You know, there's a few other groups in the state as well, and there's uh, not everybody's, you know, a member of Alcoa for sure. Um, and so it's just, uh, yeah, we're increasing production all across the state, um, you know, every year, which yeah. is really exciting. It's fabulous. Um, what do people need to know if they've never uh, ordered peonies from Alaska? Like, do they need to understand, like, what stage the the flower is cut and um, how to handle it when they when it arrives? Um, yeah, I mean they're they're much bigger, and and we so we we cut them pretty tight um, when when they initially um, you know get get harvested, uh, which is what we're doing now. And then um, after that, uh, we chill every flower for forty eight hours, just to, to uh, give it. Um, by doing that, we've done some research on that. Um, it, it the flower ends up lasting longer. And so we don't ship out flowers as, you know, we don't just cut them from the field mm-hmm. and put them in a box and ship. Um, we chill them. We make sure that, you know, we, we strip some of the bottom leaves. Uh, we bunch in, in fives. Um, but, um, yeah, our, our peonies are, they're, they're really, really big butts. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they're <laughs> I, I know. Well, that makes sense because if they're coming from a t- high temperature uh, field that's exposed to the sun, they need to kind of get that 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 process of cooling off and becoming a little bit more stable before you ship them. And I know you ship them chilled anyway, right? With uh, ice packs and stuff. 
Yeah, we ship them with ice packs, and and that's the other thing is that um, this is Alaska. We're a long ways away, <laughs> a long ways away from just about anybody else. And uh, we're really um, we're fortunate to still um, be able to offer uh, overnight shipping with FedEx, or uh, we do for some some very large orders. We do air cargo, but um, um, but we can still do um, overnight. And mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of our customers are sometimes surprised that uh, that we could do that. And uh, and we put ice packs into really, I mean. The ice packs may 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 get um, you know melted, but but they're doing their job. They they are keeping the the temperature in the box at least a little bit colder than they would otherwise. So, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're shipping to Seattle, I'm not worried about it. But if you're shipping to I don't know Orlando or something, you want you want that extra <laughs> that extra temperature control with an ice pack just to help help things along. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, and we ship actually quite a bit to. Uh, to Texas um, and yeah, Florida, same thing. Just so pretty warm climates, and um, and there's ways we can help customers kind of figure out um, how to do that, you know, in, in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. So that the, you know, we we want the flowers to get there in the best condition that we can get them there. And uh, and if so, I think um, I mean the folks that have um, bought peonies from us in the past, um, we have a lot of uh, repeat customers because um, our our flowers are just. I mean, peonies are amazing to start with, but. Um, imagine them being bigger and brighter and that's, that's really what they're like up here. That's exactly what happens. Oh my gosh. I know we're all smitten by them. Uh, I'm so excited for your season and, uh, it's really fun to watch the, the feed of Arctic Alaska peonies because you post, um, images from many of your member farms. And then uh, from through that, I discover new farms to follow. And, uh, you're right. Pe- <laughs> people are posting beautiful images of rows and rows of peonies in these, you know, against this beautiful Alaska, you know, mountain background or blue sky. And they, there's this, this temptation, like they're coming, they're coming. So we're almost there. And well, we're here. I could, you said this week, you're going to start cutting. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's starting and, uh, and very exciting. And some, some of our members have started, uh, started their, their first harvest and it's just really, I mean, yes, it's a lot of work, but really we're so excited for these because, um, yeah, we, like I said, we've been waiting for this all year. <laughs> wow. Well, I wish I could, uh, transport myself there right now, especially because it's a much warmer <laughs> where you are than it is here in Seattle where it's like, it's like 58 this morning or something, but, um, we'll follow along virtually. And, uh, I'm so glad we could just get kind of a, like, like you're like the weatherman. You're like giving us the report of what's happening. And um, <laughs> we'll share some photos uh, on our show notes at deborahprinzing.com so people who haven't seen what Chris and I are discussing can uh, get an eyeful. All right. Thanks, Deborah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, is, well, taking a week off this week, sadly, because I wasn't able to find a Mississippi voice to share with you. We'll move on to Missouri next week, and who knows, I might be able to circle back to feature someone from Mississippi later this year. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we're gearing up for a very exciting series of activities this week and next, all centered around American Flowers Week, June 28th to July 4th. All across the U.S., our members are planning floral education and promotion activities on their farms, in their studios, and in their communities, in local shops, in grocery store floral departments, and wholesale florist branches. Each event stimulates and nurtures the conversation around local, seasonal, and domestic flowers, floral agriculture, and sustainable floral design. 
If you have something planned, please post it on the calendar page at AmericanFlowersWeek.com. I'll share a link in today's show notes. We all want to know what you're planning. In my own corner of the country here in Seattle, the Slow Flowers community is readying for a fun party and celebration this Wednesday, a little early. It will take place today, Wednesday, June 26, which is the peak market day of the week at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, the farmer to florist regional wholesale hub that has so greatly influenced me and my Slow Flowers mission. We're throwing a red, white, and blue floral party to celebrate local flowers, complete with a large-scale floral installation, live music, refreshments, and a few surprises. Check out the at MySlowFlowers Instagram feed and our stories to see more. And a special thank you to the Washington State Farm Bureau for providing underwriting for this event. The timing couldn't be better to welcome today's guest, Laura Reidenauer of the Washington State Department of Agriculture. She works for the Small Farm Direct Marketing and Farm to School programs as part of WSDA's Regional Markets Division. Laura and her colleagues, along with their collaborators at the Washington State Farm Bureau, are aligning with American Flowers Week to announce the brand new Washington Flowers Project. This project aims to raise the profile and advance the marketing of Washington-grown cut flowers and is a collaborative effort of WSDA's Regional Markets Team and the Washington State Farm Bureau. The project is funded by a USDA Specialty Crop Block Grant and began in 2017, running through 2019. Slow Flowers has joined the project as a supporter and stakeholder. There is a beautiful new logo that growers and retailers are invited to use on sleeves and other packaging, depicting Washington State's outline with graphic flowers and lettering that reads Washington Flowers. The campaign also has its own social media presence on Facebook and Instagram, links to which I'll share. And there are a couple fun hashtags you want to use or follow. One is Washington Flowers, one is WA Flowers, and the other is Local Flowers Make Life Better. There's lots to learn from this state-specific project, which Laura and I will discuss today. She and I both strongly believe that the format and elements of the Washington Flowers Project can be adapted and replicated by any of you in any of your states, and we encourage you to download the resources I'll share to set up a meeting with your own Department of Agriculture or your own State Farm Bureau to explore and seek funding for a similar campaign in the future. For now, I'll get the interview started by welcoming Laura Reidenauer of WSDA. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I'm so excited today to, for many reasons, but first of all, we're going to kick off American Flowers Week starting later this week. Uh, It officially runs June 28th through July 4th every year. This is our fifth year for that campaign. And my very special guest is helping me learn more and celebrate Washington State flowers. I'd love to welcome Laura Reidenauer from the Washington State Department of Agriculture. Hi, Laura. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me. You bet. I started to go into your whole title, but it's long. So I'm going to let you tell everybody which department you're in at Washington, Washington State Department of Agriculture. Okay, thank you. I work within a team of people that support small farmers in Washington State, which is the majority of farmers. So we call ourselves the Regional Markets Program. Awesome. That's great. Well, we've 
gotten to know each other a little bit in the last maybe six months um, on this really fun project. Uh, I think it's fun. It's a campaign to support local flower farmers in Washington State. And um, I first learned about this last, maybe about this time last year, when uh, some of your colleagues at Washington State Department of Agriculture and also people at the Washington State Farm Bureau uh, received a USDA specialty crop block grant um, and just invited me to be one of the stakeholders. So I've been tagging along, um, supporting when I can and and learning a lot from what you've done. Um, maybe you can give us kind of a context for what is what what in, brought this all together and, and you know give us a snapshot of the Washington Flowers uh, project. Thank you. Yeah, the project is entitled "A Collaborative Effort to Advance Washington State Cut Flowers," and we are working together with the Washington State Farm Bureau to collaboratively find ways to advance the profile and the marketing uh, tools available for local cut flowers. And as you mentioned, this is especially crop block grant, and I'll have some details about that grant funding um, toward the end of our, end of our talk. Um, this project involves stakeholders to design and implement a marketing campaign because the beginning part of the project intended to figure out where consumers are purchasing their flowers and what they're looking for. And then also uh, we surveyed growers to find out what their needs were. Mm. And one of the things that rose to the top was this marketing campaign. And the intention of the project overall is to help with promotion activities to elevate the profile of Washington-grown flowers. Right. And it sounds like you're, you know, you're taking a broad definition of elevating the profile. It could be supporting farmers or it could be um, getting information out into the retail marketplace and people who are on that end of the, of the, you know, the pipeline. So there's a, a really diverse activities that you've built into this, this grant. Yes, right. And um, we are trying to serve everyone in the state as much as possible. The elements are taking a look at the supply chain um, for small producers um, to have more markets, uh, trying to get more markets into more flower, cut flowers, excuse me, trying to get more cut flowers into grocery stores where the majority of people buy their flowers. And then um, finding lots of ways to celebrate Washington flowers and, and that elevation piece is in the consumer awareness because what we found in our statewide consumer survey was uh, the majority of people did not know where their flowers ca- came from. And they said if there was a label that was about local, um, they would potentially be more likely to choose it. And currently there just wasn't any way for them to identify that. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I have been asked over the years uh, as with my Slow Flowers hat to write letters of support for other uh, efforts to apply for specialty crop block grants from other kind of farming-related organizations. Um, Almost all of them typically would, if they were given, would be administered by the Washington State Department of Agriculture. So this is kind of a different role to see you actually, you know, being part of the um, the, the grant and the research. So, um, I don't know why, mm-hmm. I don't know why that happened, but it's kind of cool because you're the experts. Um, but one of the things that when I would ask to be asked to write these letters of support, one of the things I found myself, um, trying to, you know, ask these questions and raise concern is, 
why are we investing funds and resources in promoting uh, this was for other applicants promoting other promoting domestic flowers or Washington state flowers when we don't even have any understanding of what consumers know about Washington flowers. And I'm so pleased that you uh, and your colleagues put this baseline kind of quantitative and qualitative uh, study just to get a snapshot. I mean, obviously you could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on consumer research. You didn't have those resources, but you got some really interesting insights. And um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how that went, how that happened. And um, I, I know I got to sit in on one of those weird focus group situations where you're behind the glass <laughs> <laughs> and the people don't know. Well, maybe they knew we were, they were being watched. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, the consumer research side of developing any business project is, is really important. That whole sense of how do you know your consumer and what does your consumer need, be it if you're selling to a florist or you're selling to an individual who's buying flowers for their wedding or um, somebody who's walking through a farmer's market or a wholesale distributor who's distributing flowers uh, bouquets to grocery stores. So um, that piece around how can we dive a little bit deeper into the buying behavior was really important, um, particularly because Washington is the third largest producer of cut flowers and is very important region for a very high quality flower that can only be grown in more of our temperate climate. And most people just don't have any awareness of that. So we um, also knew that, you know, having effective marketing and messaging for the producer would help with the sort of the growth and sustainability in this business, particularly for those who are diversified cut flower growers. So um, the beginning part of this project involved uh, contracting with a research company um, who talked to consumers about their buying behavior. So a number of things that I'd like to share with your listeners, um, because it's probably transferable to other regions. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, is that um, the percent of consumers are largely buying for other people, Um, they're 61% was buying for a birthday, um, 38% buying for Mother's Day, 27% for anniversary, and then um, a mix of other things. A couple of elements that stood out to me um, from this consumer response was that a lot of people buy for home decorations and for Christmas or holidays, which I think... It, I think, illuminates the opportunity that it's broad. It's not just um, either these sort of unpredictable dates of birthdays or a particular, you know, what we think of as Mother's Day and and, um, and Easter or something like that. Right. But also um, consumers are more likely buying them for themselves for home decoration. So 31% of people said that they buy for home decoration when they're buying for themselves or for other reasons, Um, but all of the other things around um, holidays and that sort of thing, they're not very likely to buy for themselves. So thinking about how to expand that, to me, transfers to production. So when you're thinking about production and meeting those holiday needs or home decoration needs, that might be very different than buying for somebody, you know, when somebody's looking to buy for a birthday. It's really interesting why you you dug deep into those those uh, like what's habitual and what's occasional, and exactly. they're almost like two different buckets to concentrate marketing efforts. Um, 
that that's a mixed metaphor, but uh, two different categories, I guess, to concentrate marketing efforts if there's going to be a future campaign or something, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, you know, in, in these sorts of, of campaigns, it's, you know, they end up being very generalized. What's going to resonate with the most people? Um, so that's important to remember. So like the tagline for this one was local flowers make life better. Mm. And our, the design for the label is our, the outline of our state with iconic flowers across the bottom you know, two or three color at the most, and just a very, it stands out very quickly and identifiably as from Washington. Yeah. Um, however, you know, producers thinking about their, their market and their consumer and their consumer's buying behavior have an opportunity to both brand their local place and and so they can help people know what's in season and what's available locally, but then also think about what's happening um, as you say, and that's a second channel, which you have more experience with than I do. Well, you're, I, I should have asked you initially, um, before we go any further, I think I'll bring this up, Laura, is like, what, what is the background of this? Like, what prompted this? Because um, I think it's very timely. I mean, I, I, in a way, if, you, if this grant had been given even five years ago, I don't know if the farming uh, com- community and the population of small farmers would have been ready to, to participate at a, sort of in something a little bit more formal. But I feel like the timing is perfect, and I am, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about what, you know, what why it appealed to WSDA. And I know our colleague from the Farm Bureau isn't on, but I, th- I think you can probably address sort of their ins- inspiration as well. Yeah, so over the last 15 years, we've seen a ton of growth in consumer demand for locally and regionally produced food. And that has presented opportunities for our farmers in our state and all across the country um, to connect with consumers in new ways, expanding the direct market. Um, And we can talk a little bit about the floriculture report that really shows that expansion. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, and so, and so what this project came out of the desire to support the, these small farmers that are really um, the bulk of the producers of, of cut flowers and help raise the awareness, as I mentioned before. The activities are focused on engaging the key industry stakeholders across the board. So everyone is aware of what's available and how to purchase it. Um, And we've been talking about the survey Mm -hmm. research. And then um, we are um, just discussing the logo and the design, which was an important part of the communications piece. And then we're also partnering with regional grocers and farmers market managers and floral businesses to present promotional activities, a lot of like what happens with American Flowers Week um, to engage people. Right. I mean, I was so pleased that you invited me to be part of a presentation you gave at the, this was last fall, the Washington State Farmers Market Association Managers or something like, I may be saying that a little (laughs) bit wrong, but like you had this insight into uh, opportunities at the farmer's market level, I was blown away about how many farmer's markets there really are in the state, but that's just one channel that you're going to try to provide collateral and support for, right, in education. Yeah, and the point about the farmer's market is really important because um, for all types of food and farm businesses, 
and floral businesses. Farmers markets allow um, for sort of an incubator space as you're growing your business um, and that direct customer relationship. People come to really depend on you being at that market and having that interaction with you. And of course, it's so enjoyable for for growers to have the feedback, the direct feedback from consumers when they're when they're there, just loving their flowers and what they're producing. Yeah, and, and farmers. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say it's just like um, visually, farmers markets look gorgeous anyway, but add flowers to that produce, and it's like does its marketing for you practically. That's right. Yeah, we titled that workshop that you presented so beautifully at a call. It was called like bees to nectar. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right. Or, yeah. Um, using cut flowers to attract farmer's market shoppers um, because, of course, that's the visual stimulus that everybody's attracted to. Um, but the other thing that happens is people are so excited to do these hands-on workshops like you're highlighting through all of your slow flowers work. Mm. Um, and that gives an opportunity for um, more sales and more interaction, which is what people are looking for. And that's where the education can happen around what's in season and where flowers are grown. Um, and then that increases the personal value to the person who's buying those flowers. So it's certainly not just about having a label and identifiable um, something for people to choose, but having more ways that people can interact with horticulture and flowers. I'm really glad you brought that up. I, and I, I know that you have a long personal background with agriculture. And so you've probably seen, you know, these, the consumer behavior and when people can really respond to knowing who their farmer is or having a sense that it's from their community. And I mean, it just translates over to flowers in, in just as, with just as much impact, I would imagine. At least that's what I've seen, too. Absolutely. Yes. It's a huge part of what goes on. Actually, that. let me see if I can find this quote from a farmer in one of our surveys. Um, we ask people um, oh, some open-ended questions mm -hmm. at the end of the cut flower producer survey. Um, and while the number of participants in our survey were um, small, they're telling a really great story. Mm -hmm. um, and we use it to shape the direction of the project and the resources that we're creating. Um, okay, so at the end of the survey, people said a couple of things. I'll just read these quotes Yeah, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, we just really need to convince um, another store owner to carry our flowers because once we're in, they fly off the shelves. Unfortunately, groceries are used to buying dirt cheap bouquets. Our price is higher, but we have almost zero shrinkage. Um, and that's a really important quote about quality and what local offers. Um, I'm looking for the one about how building relationships is so important. Um, this there's a couple of quotes. Building relationships with local flower growers is a lovely example of what community can be. Fresh growers, fresh grown flowers are painstakingly labor intensive and are worth every single penny. Direct connection, friendships, and familiarity is what makes this life beautifully lived. <laughs> I love it. I don't know if everyone would be as, as passionate about a turnip, <laughs> not to not to take on the turnip growers, but I mean, there's something really visceral about what you just read. Like it's, it is a intentionality of a lifestyle choice for many people to to grow something beautiful that 
they know brings joy to their their own community. So you touched on that yes. with that quote. Oh, and can I read one more? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, this one said, definitely the connection between the farmer and the consumer is what matters. We've not found that people necessarily love our flowers because we're local. Flowers are not a necessity. They're extra. But once they've purchased our flowers, they do love our flowers because they're local. Mm. They come back again and again because they love them and us. They provide excellent customer service. Sorry, we provide excellent customer service and go the extra step to build the relationship. They know the farmer and they love it. I love it. And your sur- this survey that we're talking about with the grower survey, you tried to capture imp- input from um, across the state. Uh, as, uh, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, in 2018 as part of this project. So we did the consumer survey and then we also did a grower survey. And um, the other piece was more on the supply chain side in terms of um, buyers, wholesale buyers, and what they were looking for so we could help growers know what their opportunities were. So with the cut flower grower survey, um, we sent a survey to more than 460 cut flower growers and um, they, we asked them questions around a wide range of things and like what are your greatest challenges or needs in terms of cut flower production um, to, you know, what would you do with a local label and what are you looking for in a local label um, and that we have a broad amount of information. I, the reason I ask you about the statewide is that for those of, a, those of our listeners who aren't familiar with Washington State, it, it is a very interesting geographical divide in a way where there's a mountain range that runs vertical almost through the state called the Cascades, and the west is very wet and green and lush and lots of agriculture that's different than the more, uh, I don't know, grain and orchard type of agriculture and lower population east of the mountains. So... You know, you kind of are dealing with two states in a way, um, and you miraculously engaged everyone, and I'm really impressed with that. Yeah, well, what we find is that the majority of the smaller producers are on the west side of the state. Um, Agricultural systems are bigger on the east side, Mm -hmm. because it's much more open, um, and are much more oriented toward the commodity and export opportunities of, of that region. Yeah. There are a fair amount of small cut flower growers on, on the east side, um, but there's, you know, there's different, totally different uh, challenges in terms of the environment and the weather. Absolutely. The it's exciting, though. It's, this is obviously really going to set a, um, a benchmark for what everyone um, will refer back to when they're planning future projects. Because I know, unfortunately, like all grants, there's a, like a, a termina- terminus date. <laughs> I don't know when that is. How, is this a one-year grant? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's a three-year grant. Oh, that's right. And it started in 2017. And so this one wraps up at the end of December of this year, 2019. Um, but the materials are going to be available in perpetuity. They're um, being distributed on a thumb drive, so the marketing materials and the research. Um, and then it's also available on a website that's being developed and I think launched this week in preparation for American Flowers Week. Mm-hmm. Our partners at the Farm Bureau are working on that 
and um, yeah, and I'll have all those reference, all those resources that you're able to share, and some of the visuals. We'll put them in the show notes for today's episode at DebraPrinzing.com, so you, you all listeners can see can see get a glimpse of what Laura's um, referring to. Thank you. So I know I might have skipped over some of the things we had in our outline. So just steer me back, Laura, if I get off track. But um, I was, we were both pretty excited that um, the. Uh, Floriculture Census um, from USDA was recently published. It, it did come out a year late. So I think this is mostly uh, from the 2017 st- survey. And these surveys happen every five years, uh, if I'm correct. Um, but you've kind of, you've done a deep dive in looking at what what is interesting about the statistics and the research from, uh, as it relates to um, our state. Can you re- refer to some of those um bullet points for us. So Laura, you're going to tell us a little bit about what you think is um, good to know from the uh, NAS data. Um, And this is the floral industry information that was published in 2018. Thank you. Yeah, the floriculture, just so everybody knows, they're looking at what includes potted plants, herbaceous perennials, annual bedding, and garden plants, and then cut greenery and cut flowers. So overall, all of those things, uh, the wholesale sales for those growers with $10,000 or more in sales is estimated at $131 million in Washington State. So that's the overall market. Yeah, and that has, that has climbed up from recent years, right? Yeah, so it was $119 million in 2015. Okay. Yeah, so it's we're seeing some edging up overall, but mm-hmm. we're also seeing lot of growth in cut flowers. Mm. So in terms of cut flowers in Washington, uh, since 2015, um, the cut flower wholesale sales has increased by over 60% since 2015. Oh my God, that is outrageous. Can you just say that again? I want to savor that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2015, the sales of cut flowers in Washington state were 1.32 million. In 2018, they were 2.15 million. So that's an increase of over 60%. That's exciting. That is so exciting. That means that there is more product in the pipeline. And what fuels that? But maybe more demand, or you know, it's all. Some of this is just guess guessing, but absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're, as everybody who listens to your podcast knows we are at the height <laughs> of floral culture right now. So what other, any other intel from that report that that you want to share with people? Yes. So Washington now ranks number two in the wholesale value of cut flowers amongst um, the 17 participating states that are surveyed um, for this report. And uh, that was pretty exciting, but also ranks number three in the the growth of the cut greenery, Mm. which is an important piece of the cut flower industry. That's exciting, and that I know that the Seattle, our friends at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, are really um, for years have been introducing interesting new um, varieties for floral design. In you know, breaking away from the uh, what our state was t- traditionally known for, which was salal, <laughs> and there, which is still a great product, but like there's more choice now, and that's that's really encouraging to know that Washington is number three in the whole country. That's awesome. Yeah, right. Salal is typically not 
cultivated is more wild harvested, but we, you know, we're seeing things like raspberry um, cultivated specifically for the leaf and the lack of thorns uh, and other greenery, you know, really interesting colored greenery that might typically be just um, a non-flowering perennial. That's so cool. Okay, well, I'm encouraged by that quite a bit. And um, I would love to know, um, like, how some of this is influencing the marketing decisions that are coming out of the uh, Washington Flowers marketing campaign. You've talked about the collateral material, the the, the cool logo and some of the labels and um, assets that people can, you know, get their hands on and, and use in their own marketing. Um you're also, as you said, touching every ch- other channels, maybe in the retail and wholesale side of things. Some of, of some, anything interesting you want to talk about in those channels? Well, yes, uh, we are working with one of our um, Western state distributors that is um, very popular in Washington to figure out, um, sort of outline for growers what's involved in selling to wholesale. Um, and the, that distributor in particular um, serves a lot of our independent grocers. Um, over, I think it was over 60% of consumers said that they buy their flowers at grocery mm. stores. Mm. So we you really want- wanted to kind of like figure out how to simplify the process of getting local flowers into grocery stores. Or not, you know, simplify might, might not be the right word, but nurture it, right? Exactly. And I mean, to some extent, wholesale, you know, it has its own um, boundaries in terms of what you have to have in place in your business to be able to really access that market and to figure out where your um, your price point is going to not be losing you money, where the volume of sales makes more sense. And so for growers who are relatively small, which is the majority of cut flower growers, um, that that question of what does it take to scale up, what do I need to get to in order to be able to move more volume and sell at wholesale is often kind of a, you know, a, a big thing to get your arms around. There are many um, pieces to getting there. So one of the things that we did was uh, reach out to this distributor who does buy all types of uh, cut flowers throughout the year from all over the globe and talk to them about um, we hosted a webinar so that growers could ask that buyer um, a lot of questions, and we posted some FAQs on what's needed to scale up, and we're working with that distributor to be able to make it a little bit easier for Washington Flowers to get into grocery stores. Um, so um, that's the a pilot project with and, distributor. And, and so, Laura, uh, can you say who the distributor is, or is it, I mean, is it public knowledge? Yeah, yeah, it's it's Charlie's Produce, um, and they are they serve our statewide independent grocers. So any but any grocery store that has bouquets in their store is getting them via Charlie's. And it was really a great educational session to have this short webinar, um, live webinar where everybody could ask questions and we could describe to people the kind of checklist that they need to have in place. Um, one of the pieces that was important was that we make sure that it's actually, you know, of value in terms of the economic return to the producer to, to do this um, sale. So we um, worked with Charlie's to, for them to be able to provide the boxes that, because there are 
I'm not sure how deep people want to go into this. Yeah, no, I, I think some of this is probably relevant to anyone who's trying to sell into grocery in, in the U.S. So yeah. tell us about that. Yeah, so in this case, the, um, the transportation has to be in water, and there are all types of limitations if you have to if you have to ship your, your product in water. So um, in this case, they want a specific size box that fits an individual bucket. The box is lined with a uh, plastic bag so that the spillage doesn't damage the box. The grower has to be willing to put up front, anybody selling into retail needs to be willing to put up front the cost of these um, kind of flimsy, uh, usually black, um, floral buckets yep. because mm-hmm. it don't get returned to the grower. And that uh, was a big flag for me because it's a cost that's out of pocket that does you cannot recycle and return them <laughs> to the grower to use again. So it's an important piece to consider in terms of pricing per bouquet, um, that additional cost. Um, so that was one piece that I thought was important for people to understand in their their own businesses analysis of whether or not they could afford to sell to Charlie's and be part of this grocery pilot to test out what it's like to sell the wholesale. Is there a, um, like a, a typical number of bouquets or bunches per bucket or does it just depend on the crop? Cause it's probably very hard to yeah, so, standardize. Right. It's, um, the, so I, it would be very hard to standardize and I'm not close enough to, the industry and production to know how mm-hmm. many um, bouquets go in a bucket. Um, and Nor am case, I. <laughs> yeah. In this case, we were looking for um, a market, you know, a classic farmer's market looking bouquet versus individual stems. Mm. And so that was also an opportunity for growers to assess what, you know, is this a market opportunity for me that actually fits what I'm able to supply? Um, because a lot of people had questions about individual stems and selling um, to grocery that way. And most people aren't buying, you know, ex- lavender, for example. Mm-hmm. Or, we just, um, there were some limitations, but we sent them directly to Charlie's um, to figure out what Charlie's would be able to buy and to distribute. And once growers are signed up to work with that distributor um, and they have the right amount of insurance, that's another piece to talk about. Typically, the minimum amount of insurance that is needed is a $2 million coverage. Um, and for this pilot, uh, the partners worked with us to figure out if they could lower the amount um, because there is risk to all the businesses involved. Sure. Um, so, um, and growers need to know that it, you know $2 million sounds like, oh, my God, I'd never... I would never be able to afford that, but it usually costs between something like three hundred to five hundred dollars a year, um, depending on what other coverage you have and what your package is. Uh, but that's adding on to your current package. I mean, there's probably people who've just never—they've just assumed that it was out of their reach, and so just providing that um, that reality check is super helpful. I would think. Yeah, I mean, the wholesale sales are all about volume. So mm-hmm. um, in terms of the efficiency of the moving that volume with one foul swoop, um, having, you know, one or two customers and moving a huge amount 
um, without having to do distribution all over the state or, you know, within 300 miles of you. Um, so there's a lot of considerations that go into the sort of crop costing for um, a wholesale business. Well, this kind of relates to one of your other goals, which was to do some um, training for uh, farmers in the state, flower farmers in the state. So even the webinar was a, a big part of that. Uh, but you have some other things planned, or or I, I guess you've already yeah. done some of them too. Correct. Yeah, we do. Um, so we also um, identified that growers were interested in, um, well, we asked questions about their current greatest challenges. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of them said understanding the cost of production, um, access to capital, issues with labor, and um, business management. And that, that was across the board, in, in my mind, around crop costing and sort of a whole farm planning perspective. So we are working with um, an agricultural economics person to develop some curriculum around how to get your arms around um, the numbers so that you can make smart business decisions and um, invest in different ways. Um, Sometimes when you are able to look at a specific crop and a specific variety, that just takes a ton of labor. Um, You know, we hear from some successful cut growers like Jello Mold Farm that they have a long list of, of varieties that they just don't grow anymore because it's not worth it for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. The and, and, they and they're honest about that in, in that, you know, when they first started, they wanted to, they were like gaga over every flower and you wanted to grow everything, but it takes a, a, a bit of maturity in your business to step back and say, I might really love this flower, but there's no profit in it. And um, I'm going to let let somebody else in the marketplace, you know, go deep into that and I'm going to move on kind of thing. I mean, that's what you're alluding to, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I also attended the Pacific Northwest Cut Flower Growers um, meetup uh, Mm -hmm. earlier this year and their their and Oregon State University's uh, small farm conference um, had a track on cut flowers as well. And, um, the theme was very clear as we were listening to a lot of uh, growers' experiences that you really have to focus on the ones that are the most productive or um, have the biggest return or don't take too much labor um, mm. or are early or late in the season. <laughs> Those are some of the factors. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you, you were going to, you, before we turned on the recorder, we, we, wanted to t- we talked about touching on season extension and, and some resources. Um, so just early in the season kind of makes me think there's an opportunity there that, that it is going to factor into some of the programming or um, education for farmers as, as well. Yeah, so the, the main thing that we're, we're doing in terms of this training is this um, business education and um, making sure that we're setting up networks for growers. Um, and so that they're connected with their local floral buyers. Um, so we had some meetups uh, with at you know floral industry and farmers um, last month. Right. And then were you there? I, can't I got to attend the one in Tacoma at Washington Floral, which is a wholesaler in Tacoma, and um, it was really fun to see people who <laughs> claim they rarely get off the farm to get to come and see where their flowers. Could potentially be be sold. It was it was inspiring. I I loved I loved that that you guys did that. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, oh. I didn't get a chance to go to those two, but our, my colleague Suzanne Carson from the Farm Bureau was hosting mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. Glad that those happened. Um, and again, like you said, we have a, a sort of a split state, so we had um, one on the east side and one on the west side, um, trying to meet everybody's needs. And then this um, this deeper dive into the business education piece will happen this fall, but um, we are also, I'm just trying to keep my fingers on some of the themes that I see emerging in doing this work. Um, one of them is that I think that there could be a benefit to start a, a list serve so that that network amongst growers is stronger. Um, it's very easy to do with an unfacilitated listserv where people can post questions to each other or market opportunities. For example, a grower who attended the webinar contacted me afterward and said, you know, I would love to partner with somebody on buying some of those floral buckets um, because if we could get enough people together, we could bring down the price on those. And I would love to not have to drive a couple of hours to where I'm currently getting them. And if we could buy them in bulk, um, they could be delivered to me. Yeah, (laughs) so so, smart. So many benefits. Right. Yeah. I'd like for folks to be able to talk directly to each other about the resources that they have and the opportunities that they're thinking of. Um, And the more we can do that, the stronger I think the the floriculture market will be here and the cut flower growers will have what they need um, in terms of all these resources. Great. Well, I know that you shared with me some resources um, that I can put on our show notes uh, that all growers who are anyone who's listening in the, in the U S at least uh, can look into uh, matching grants that are allocated um, through various agencies. So um, I, I'll go ahead and add that to our show notes. Are there any that you want to highlight or um, will that take another hour? <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say, yeah. Um, no, I'd love to highlight those if, if I could. Yeah, please um, do. I am having conversations with, with growers already who are interested in uh, forming marketing cooperatives. And I, I'm excited for people to know that there are funds available um, to help cooperatives um, marketing cooperatives grow or existing cooperatives um, to work on their business. So feasibility studies or um, leadership training, um, particularly those beginning sides of being a marketing cooperative um, need support. So that's available through the USDA Rural Cooperative Development Grant. And as long as the co-op is located in a rural area, um, grower groups who are interested in forming a marketing cooperative um, can apply. I believe it's a once-a-year application, but I'll we'll make sure that you have the link. Yes, thank you. That's great. I have heard about that that particular grant. Uh, and it probably for years, it's been uh, that kind of those funds have been going to um, food commodity groups. And why can't flowers get in on some of this grant, you know, this, this pool of grant money? So I'm I'm glad that you're just you know, raising awareness of the fact that there is grant money available for small farmers. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot of paperwork required to get, you know, apply, but it, it's sometimes, you know, just it's encouraging just hearing what you guys are doing to know that it's worth looking into these. Yeah, and sometimes uh, growers find that once they're connected to these sorts of resources and they're sort of on the list of people who are doing similar projects, then, um, you know, they're you know, there's 
more ways that they can access mm. additional resources. Uh, but just getting out there and making sure that people know that they what they're doing and what they need help with, you know, sort of brings up the awareness in the state even. I mean, now I know that there are a couple of grower, you know, growers interested in co-ops. Um, and once that cooperative forms, then they'll have much more marketing power um, for distribution. Well, the good news is all these tools are now available to uh, Washington uh, flower growers. This wonderful logo, which has been turned into um, like a bouquet label kind of product, and also the artwork, I think, might be able to be used by participants in other ways, like say for a website or um, signage uh, at a farmer's market, that sort of thing as well, right? Yes, absolutely. We will make sure that people have the information in the show notes to be able to access all of those um, marketing things and celebration of Washington flowers during American Flowers Week. Um, Yay! I want to touch on two more grants, if I might. Yes, please do. I'm sorry. I got off topic. (laughs) <laughs> That's okay. I um, So the floriculture industry also measures how many farmers are growing undercover, like a greenhouse or temporary shade. Um, and they they measure the area in terms of square feet, which I think personally as an ag geek, I think is really important for us to pay attention to because the number of acres in production um, for agriculture is always falling, and we want to make sure that people have what they need to keep their um, their farms successful and growing. And so we see that over time, more cut flowers growers have um, a need for resources and capital to invest in their businesses with, like, season extension. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that people have a chance to check out the EQIP grant. It's called Environmental Quality Incentives Program from the Natural Research. Conservation Service because they offer grants for high tunnels. So that's like a it's like a hoop house or a plastic covered greenhouse, mm-hmm. and that is um, match money sometimes up to eighty percent of the cost of installation. Um, yeah, so it's a huge value, usually around ten thousand dollars to to install a hoop house. Um, so for that type of season extension, we could see grower, more growers accessing those shoulder seasons and taking advantage of the markets available then. I've, I hear every now and then where someone says, hey, I just got a grant for a high tunnel. I'm sure it's through this program. It does yeah. seem that you add uh, two to four months um, to your growing season, depending on where you are in the country, because you can start earlier uh, before before the last frost, and then you can continue producing inside that uh, high tunnel after the first frost. Uh, So early spring and late fall, right? Right. So um, you might see early season peonies under a tunnel or sweet peas uh, where, you know, you're going to get a jump on that season or even... um, potentially late season things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other grant is um, the specialty crop block, specialty crop block grant program. Um, so that's where USDA allocates funds to states to support the competitiveness of specialty crops. And those are fruits and vegetables and tree nuts and nursery crops like floriculture. That is the funding source for this project that we're currently working on. And um, that does require a nonprofit to apply, um, and usually a group of producers will benefit. 
Um, but it's important that people know that that funding is out there and available and they're interested in supporting cut flowers. Well, I know I'm going to um, be waving the banner of Washington Flowers um, starting, well, already now, but when we when we launched the uh, kind of our joint party, <laughs> Washington Flowers Project, and um, because we have so many Soul Flowers members in the Seattle area, uh, American Flowers Week, and we're going to have a special gathering today at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, and people who are interested can follow us along on social media. I understand the Washington Flowers Project now has an Instagram account, and so uh, I think it's washington.flowers.project, and so I'll share that link, and then of course at my slow flowers. But um, I'm really, I'm really delighted to uh, shine as much light as possible at what's happening here in my own backyard. I feel like Washington flower farmers really helped influence me to even write a book <laughs> called The 50 Mile Bouquet and lead to all of the slow flowers activities that have you know, continued in the last um, nine years or uh, subsequent nine years. So it's, it's just great. It feels right to be talking about what's happening here and hopefully will inspire, your work will inspire groups in other states to dig deep into some of these resources and consider creating their own um, state-specific promotion efforts. I think that would be awesome to see that dot the country. Um, anyway, anyway I, I just want to thank you for that, Laura, and, and for Laura Raymond and Suzanne Carson and the other members of the Farm Bureau and USDA teams. You guys have been wonderful to collaborate with. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes, it's really been inspiring to collaborate with you as well. I think that the Slow Flowers and American Flowers Week projects that you're working on are um, just part of an incredible um, backbone of the movement of, for cut flowers throughout the U.S., and I'm so thankful that it exists. Well, great. Well, this is a good uh, snapshot of this amazing project. Um, it's continuing, you said, through the end of 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We okay. want to make sure that all of the consumer education and producer support and value chain connection is established by then, but the materials are going to be available to anybody who wants to use them to identify Washington-grown flowers. That's awesome. And um, to learn more, as I said, come to see the show notes for today's episode at DebraPrinzing.com. But also, um, there's a couple social media tags that are associated with this project. So Washington Flowers, hashtag Washington Flowers, and hashtag Local Flowers Make Life Better, which is a wonderful slogan. Uh, so I'll make sure I um, share those and keep an eye out and start using them uh, when I post. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be so fun to be doing that with you in this next week for American Flowers Week. Okay, Laura, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to um, hearing from anybody if they have any questions. Oh, well, I would love to share your contact information for people to, do, to reach out. You're okay with that? That sounds good. Awesome. Thanks so much, Laura. Take care. Thank you, Deborah.
As Laura and I discussed, one exciting component of the Washington Flowers Project is a grocery store pilot program aimed to connect flower growers to new markets and to sell more locally grown cut flowers and foliage at Northwest Independent Grocery Stores via Charlie's Produce, a regional distributor. To launch the project, Washington Flowers recently hosted a live webinar, and I'll share the video of that webinar in today's show notes. The positive outcome of this pilot is that approximately 60 Northwest Independent Grocery Stores are participating. Local flowers will, will appear in ads and point-of-purchase stories from June through September, and these grocery stores will stock approximately 300 cases per week of Washington-grown blooms and bouquets. I couldn't be happier to see this groundswell of interest in local flowers take place in my own state. And I so want to see something just like this campaign come to your state. So please take inspiration. And huge congrats to WSDA and Washington Farm Bureau for creating so many useful and vital resources now available for you to read and download at farmfreshwa.org slash Washington flowers. And I'll have a link to that in today's show notes too. It's the cool website that has all these resources I've referred to. Our next sponsor spotlight is Northwest Green Panels. Based in Madras, Oregon, Northwest Green Panels designs and constructs a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses, offering versatility, style, and durability. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon-made, using twin-wall polycarbonate manufactured in Wisconsin, making Northwest Green Panel structures a great value for your backyard. The 8x8-foot modern slant greenhouse has become the essential hub of my cutting garden. You can see photos of it at my website. This month, take advantage of Northwest Green Panel's online special, Save 10% Off Any Model. That's a great savings. And reach out to me if you have any questions about my experience with this cool greenhouse maker. You can also learn more at nwgreenpanels.com. Well, it's been a busy week, and I thank you for taking time to pop in the earbuds and join the Slow Flowers podcast. Thank you to our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement, as our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, their flower farmers and their staff. What an incredible group of professionals who are 100% committed to changing the floral landscape in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. I'm so grateful for their sponsorship of American Flowers Week, especially our fabulous celebration taking place today, which required a huge amounts of time and a generous donation of their space and floral product to make it happen. This farmer-owned cooperative is committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. Its mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. By the time you hear from me next week, we will have wrapped up the third annual Slow Flowers Summit. It's not too late to join me and our vibrant and engaging lineup of presenters on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. Visit today's show notes for links to more details or head straight to slowflowerssummit.com to grab your space, your seat, and join me. 
And next week, I will announce the location and dates of the 2020 Slow Flowers Summit. So you can immediately mark it on your calendar and save the date. I'm so excited to reveal those details very soon. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 485,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.